Hey there. Have you thought about what you need to be in the Cool Kids Club? Let's hit the ground running with a story from my next guest. I thought that desire to be one of the cool girls would wear off after some time, but apparently not. It's been 40 years and counting over here. Hey, a while back, I was working for a promotional advertising company, peddling embossed pens, mugs, and team apparel. This was my jam. I liked rubbing elbows with clients and building relationships and felt confident in both the product and service I provided. One summer night, I was slated to deliver a presentation to a local sports team. I had the boardroom set up with samples, quotes, and what I thought was a pretty good presentation. It was a small-town team, and I felt relatively comfortable. That is, until the committee rolled in. The men on the board were inconsequential, to be honest. I don't even remember if they existed. The women, however, they were another story. Close your eyes and picture, in slow motion, with a gentle breeze fanning their satiny, straight hair, poised and confident young women boldly parading into the boardroom. I may not be in high school anymore, but as they took their seats, I glanced down at my department store skirt and somewhat matching blouse, and a whole host of awkward teenage feelings flooded back to their former residence in my brain. On this side of the room, I present the sexy circle of Charlie's angels, sharing secrets, flipping their hair, and smiling big with their ultra-white teeth. And to your left, the hot mess express of Tess Scott, or so it felt to me. I muddled through the meeting and hurriedly packed up, bolting out of their lickety-split. If I could have had taken a second to think, I would have realized the presentation itself was actually pretty good. It seemed well-received, and just maybe I had pulled it off. Outside, I dumped the bulky bags and leaned over, breathing a massive sigh of relief. The exhale of air reverberated between my cheeks, rippled across my lips, and made a crazy loud hoarse sound <sighs> on the way out. The unexpected vibration felt odd, so I practiced it a few more times to perfect my method. <sighs> Just then, I heard a rustle behind me. As my chest filled with red-hot lava, I looked up to see cool girl number one gawking at me from beside her car. Lord have mercy. I've since moved from that down. Though it was not because of the incident, I'm relieved all the same. The comparison game, it's a trap. Whether we're comparing our bodies, our talents, our families, or our Instagram perfect kitchens, we all come out losers. Because we know our true identity doesn't lie in any of those things. Our identity comes from our creator. Hey there, this is Jen Rogers, and I couldn't agree more with my friend Tess Scott in her chapter from her book titled One of the Cool Girls. Being a stepmom doesn't always feel cool. In fact, there's a lot of times that we feel like we need to be gasping for air and practicing these crazy breathing techniques to overcome the current obstacle. And as Tess reminds us from Romans chapter 12, verse 6, each one of us has different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. It doesn't always feel like we've got the grace that we need. It doesn't always feel like we have the skills that we need. And it most certainly doesn't feel like we have the confidence that we need to pull it off. 
But just as Tess found herself in that boardroom, sharing her gifts and sharing her talents, that's what God invites us to do as stepmamas in our families, that we take the stewardship responsibility that he has given us. And I guess, you know, if we want to flip our hair from time to time and whiten our teeth, that's okay. But the main thing is that we honor the gifts that we've been given and we practice the art of loving our family without comparison. Meet Tess Scott. She describes herself as the former black sheep girl turned Jesus girl. She's a proud mom of eight boys, and she's a spunky Grammy to a whole slew of adorable grandkids. She began the Listen Sister Encouragement for Women ministry in 2020. Often she'll use the expression, her freak show life, and that expression turned into a book titled Listen, Sister, Finding Hope in the Freak Show of Life. I met Tess Scott a couple years ago, and since then, God has been weaving our ministry initiatives together. This is her third appearance on Step Family Mission Possible. Each time she comes, it's a delightful experience, and the feedback from you is amazing. Please join me in welcoming Tess Scott to Step Family Mission Possible. Today on the show, Tess will share seven survival strategies for your stepfamily. We promise these strategies will definitely put you in the cool kids club so you and your family can blend beautifully together. All right, let's get started. Hey there, you're listening to Step Family Mission Possible, the podcast for stepfamilies with a focus on stepfamily couples building their legacy together. We know that blending families is hard, and your hosts, me, Jen Rogers, along with my husband, Bill, are determined to make it easier. It's time to turn stepfamily chaos into stepfamily mission possible together, so you can stop feeling that pit in your stomach on transition day and start celebrating all the reasons why you are exactly in the right place right now. Yes. Welcome to Step Family Mission Possible. So great to have you back. My most frequent guest. I love it. It's just the girls and we're going to do this solo today. The guys are off doing their thing, which is great because girls know what to do when the guys are at play. Thank you for having me, Jen. I love, love, love being on here and I love encouraging parents. Yeah, you are such a beautiful encourager. I know that from personal experience. Thank you so much for lifting me and my family up in prayer as you share your message about your freak show life. We actually have seven things that we're going to talk about today. You want to kick it off? Yes. So seven simple survival strategies, if you can say that all in a, in a sentence there, for blended families. And my family was a huge blended family of eight, but not every family is like that. But I think we are all living in the freak show. Part of my ministry is to encourage parents that they're not alone. What you see on social media, those picture-perfect Instagram home pictures aren't real. That's the outside of the house. But if you open that front door, there's laundry on the couch, just like at your house. I want to encourage women and men, parents, that this is real. This is what it's really like. And I want to give them some strategies to live a more peaceful life. I love that. Peace is so important. My husband often says when we are making a decision, let peace be your referee. Oftentimes, there's a lot of fighting with that umpire or that ref, but ultimately, peace is 
so important. You said seven simple survival strategies for blended families, but I'm thinking the alliteration with the S's should be seven simple survival strategies for step families because you need one more S, I think. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, I didn't think of that word. That's good. That's good. That's really good. One thing I would say is manage your time. Being organized really helps. The time of day when just before dinner, when the kids are coming home from school and their shoes are everywhere and their backpacks and maybe you're getting home from work or you're just getting ready for dinner, we call that the pit hour. That is a terrible time. Plus, I get hangry. I don't know about you, but it's just not the most fun time of day. So one thing that we did was we did once a month cooking. And there was a book years ago. I still have it, but it's tattered. And it was brought out by Focus on the Family called Once a Month Cooking. And the strategy is that one day a month, and it's a horrible day, I'm not going to lie, it's a terrible day, you cook 30 meals and you freeze them. I always do it with a girlfriend. We cook 60 meals, so we are on fire. And the strategy is that if you're going to cut one onion, you cut 30 onions. It takes basically the same amount of time. You just put them through your, what do you call that thing? Cutter thing. It's a food processor. That's the word. Food processor. And at the end of the prep stage, you have bowls everywhere on your table. So a bowl of chopped onions, a bowl of chopped peppers, browned onions, hamburger, browned, all the things, all the ingredients are all pre-ready to, to go. And then you and your friend just split up the recipes and you go like, I'm making chicken soup and you put everything in the bag. So you just scoop, you know, scoop a cup of onion, scoop a cup of celery, basically put it all together, put it in a bag, label it, done. And it was actually fun. I think anything that you can do with a friend is more fun. I would hate to do it by myself, but I've probably, I've done this hundreds of times. The woman who wrote the book only had the fridge or the freezer above her fridge that's, and she fit 30 meals in there. So she said at the beginning of the month, they had no ice cream or ice cubes or the extra things. They only had the meals. And most things went in bags, except maybe lasagna. But most things went in bags and were labeled. And then all you have to do in the morning is pull the bag out of the freezer. And we're having broccoli chicken. And then throw it in the oven. Just put it in a pan and throw it in the oven before mealtime. Because kids don't care to have extravagant meals. My kids never cared. They just wanted food and I want it to be healthy and I don't want to be stressed. They don't want their mom to be stressed before dinner time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really a great idea. So for us here in the Rogers household, we don't do 30 days in advance, but we do sit down and we do a meal planning. So every Monday we get together, Bill and I, and we do a meal plan for the week. I know tonight, He's cooking tonight because I have a client tonight and tomorrow night he's leading Bible study. So I'm cooking tomorrow night. So we even go as far as saying who's responsible for the prep based on what the priorities are or the timing in our schedules are. And that has helped what I call decision fatigue, eliminate decision fatigue. And that's what I hear you saying. When you're doing 30 wow. meals, that decision is one and done. And if you're doing it with a girlfriend and a bottle or two of wine, that would be really awesome. Even better, even better. Even knowing, like you said, even knowing these are the meals we're going to have this week. I don't know which one, which day necessarily, but I know that I have the ingredients. I know these are the meals we're going to have. That's one less decision that I have to make that day. So you can do that on a small, you don't have to do 30 in one day. You can do it on a smaller scale, but at least not making that decision at five o'clock, 
that's just asking for trouble. Nobody wants to go. So the first strategy is manage your time, be organized. And an example of that is meal planning, which is a huge, powerful example. So take us to number two. What's number two? Number two is managing your mess. Please don't hear me say that my house was never messy because (laughs) that is definitely not true. With eight boys, my house was often messy, but doing little things. So part of it is the organization, but also um, just just cleaning your sink and wiping off your counter, keeping your sink empty of dishes, wiping off your counter, making your bed. Those little tiny things that don't only take a few minutes, but they make you feel better. It's le- There's less stress if you walk into the room and your bed's already made. And Rick and I did dishes together. So some of the really fun memories, and this isn't going to sound fun, but like him washing my face with the dirty cloth from that sink, that, that uh, that's still a good memory because we spend a lot of time talking while we did dishes. For the first years that we are together and we had seven kids at that time, we did not have a dishwasher. Yes, that's right. No dishwasher. But him and I did the dishes and we stood there together for that time. And that was uninterrupted time because none of the kids wanted to help. So well, they were gone, this man. Like they did <laughs> not bother us. What a great strategy. And, and we talked while we did it. And I'm not going to say it was fun maybe, but... No, I think it was. I think it was still time together. It's not hard work to do the dishes. And we had that fun together. And I have one memory of must, Jesse must have been helping to wash the dishes because at the end of it, at the end of doing a lot of dishes, it's really disgusting water in the sink. And Rick said to Jesse, who was maybe 12, at, no, 10 at the time, I will give you $2 if you put your face in that water and blow. And he did it. And we still laugh about that right now. <laughs> Rick says it was the best $2 that he ever spent. Okay. In managing your mess, Tess, mess and Tess, they rhyme together. In managing your mess, is it a certain time frame that you recommend to say, if you had 20 minutes, what could you do in 20 minutes to manage your mess to create some sort of calm in the home? Do you have a recommendation there? Or are you encouraging people to pick the things that create the most stress for them? that only take the least amount of time and do those things consistently. Yes, I love that. The things that create the most stress for them when they see it. And sometimes maybe you don't realize that it's making you feel uneasy to see the dishes piled up in the sink or to see even just shining your sink when you walk by. How long does it take to rinse out the sink and use a cloth and shine up the sink? It takes seconds, but it honestly makes a big difference just to see that. And that's one of those things. It doesn't have to be a a lot of time, like you said, maybe 15 minutes, but the things that are bothering you or the two of you. Yeah, or maybe even where you spend the most time. If you spend the most time in the family room, that's the area. So there are a lot of different ways to decide this, but I'm going to bet that the majority of us spend the majority of our time in the kitchen. Yes. Yeah, I bet you. Okay, so we are managing our time. And we are managing our mess with Tess. What are we doing on number three? Number three, I think, would be manage your expectations. That's an important one. We learn that the hard way usually. One of the things that bugged Rick was that all the shoes were in the front door. So there was a back door in that house, but that would require the kids to walk approximately 12 seconds longer around the back and come in the back door. For a while, that was our expectation. It wasn't going to happen. So we lost that one and they still came in the front door. Their shoes were everywhere. 
And every day he came home and it was like the Dick Van Dyke show. He came home and he tripped over those shoes, but we knew they were going to be there. Sometimes you have to decide what is the hill I'm going to die on? Is this the thing I'm going to fight about? What can we do? So we tried to get organized. We had a little shoe rack for them to put them on or for me to put them on. And then I'm just cleaning up or we tied the laces together and threw them outside to stop them. And all those things worked for a certain amount of time. But you have to expect that when you have a family and you have children living in your house, your house is going to look like you have children living in your house. Right. Yeah. And what one of the other things that stressed me out for a little while was laundry, which can you imagine the laundry with seven or eight kids? There was a lot. And, and sorting laundry with socks. So socks never match. I don't know what it is. Like they just, I could never find the matching sock. I don't know if the washer ate the sock or where it went, but they never matched. So I decided eventually that I'm just putting all socks in a basket. I don't care if I find a match, they're going in a basket. And if you need socks, you go to the basket and find socks that, that match. I found out later they weren't even wearing matching socks. No wonder I couldn't match them in the laundry. So there was always a basket of socks and they went and found their old own socks. And it wasn't a bad thing. And it was so much less stress for me. I, here's what I'm thinking of. I have a sock story of my own, a sock saga, if you will. So it has to do with step families yep. and kiddos and switching back and forth in between homes. And I know that there are a lot of women who are extraordinarily frustrated because of the clothing that goes back and forth. Typically, they're frustrated because they've invested hard-earned money into the clothing items for the kids, and the kids are wearing them back to the other house, and they're not coming back. So then you have these mismatched socks. I will tell you that the hill that I attempted to crucify myself on was you're going back in those same unmatched socks which you came in, which meant I had to store it in my brain for the whole week, which meant every time I thought about it, I got frustrated about it and thought all about my own self and why it was important for them to wear socks that matched, you know, because the whole world was spinning on that one decision. What a great suggestion, choosing to let them yes. figure it out. So if you do not have a sock basket, I have a sock bag, actually years worth of socks that they don't match and I'm still holding on to them. I'm sure that there's a reason for it. I just don't know what. Um, sometimes when we needed uh, maybe a consequence for one of the younger kids, we would tell them they had to go and sort socks in the basket and put the pairs together. Like a big, like a big consequence of something they had done, but it like came in handy that way too. What a great idea. Okay. We've got managing time, managing mess, and managing your expectations. We probably could do a whole podcast episode on expectations. But instead, we're going to move on to number four. What do you got? Okay. Connecting through fun. We have a big family of all boys. If I would have sat my boys down in chairs, first of all, good luck with getting them to sit still in chairs and told them we're all now going to talk about our feelings and our relationships and we're going to build relationships for each other with each other, I should say, that would not have gone over well. There is no way, there is a zero chance that would have gone anywhere. They wouldn't have done it. So we tricked them. Instead, we played games. What became building relationships with each other, the children thought was annihilating each other. See, we had Settlers of Catan, big board game. We bought it, I think it was 2007 for Christmas and played it every single day for over a year. 
And we had five teenage boys at that time. And they didn't always like each other, but they liked playing the game and they liked winning. There was a few little scraps sometimes, but it's all getting to know each other. And, and in that, they built relationships during that time. And we built relationships with them because they would talk about lots of different things while you're playing a game. It's not sitting, they don't even realize that they're telling you about their day or their friends or other things at the same time, because really they're having fun. It was a trick. I think it's a great trick for step families. Several episodes ago, we interviewed Annie Pasma. She has a membership called Library for Littles. And she talks about the power of story and reading with your kids so that when you sit down, since you are having trouble connecting with each other because you don't really know each other, you get to connect through the characters in the story. That's what I hear you saying about playing the games too. And personalities are revealed. Um, and and yet, like you said, there are things that they talk about because they forget that you're in the room for a minute. I, eventually they catch themselves. And as they get older, they get faster at catching themselves. But usually you do find out some more fun facts about your kiddos. So I, I love this connecting through fun or annihilation in the Scott household, whatever it is that you want to call it for step number four. <laughs> Boys are so competitive. They are indeed. And I said step number four, but we don't need to do these in any particular order. These are just all different survival strategies that you can do in any order you want to. That's right. That's right. Okay. You want to say more about annihilating one another or I'm sorry, playing board games for connection? Or do you want to talk about another? <laughs> another thing I would say, the next one would be, it's really important to have a space for just you as a couple. We were really outnumbered in this household. And so we, our bedroom, that house had um, a big room above the garage was a bedroom. So it was quite as the size of a garage, basically. It was a big room and it had green carpet. So the rule was no children are allowed on the green carpet. Maybe that sounds kind of mean, but they were allowed everywhere else in the house. We just didn't let them in there because that was our place of solitude where we could go close the door. We could have conversations. They, they could knock on the door, but we didn't, they didn't come into the room when we were in there. We would come out and we had a family room and lots of other spaces, but that was our room where we could go just to be the two of us. And I found that to be really, that room had a balcony on it. And when we bought the house, we said, oh, look at that sweet balcony. We're going to sit there with a little cafe table and we'll have tea. 10 years we lived there. Zero times that we ever sat on that balcony, not once. But we did spend a lot of time in that bedroom with the green carpet. It was, it was just a really great kind of a place of solace. It was our fortress of solitude. I'm curious to know what kind of things... Did you do there? Sometimes we just, we had a TV in there at the time, which we don't have a TV in our bedroom now, but at that time we did. So sometimes the kids were watching something downstairs. Rick could watch something in our bedroom or we would watch something together up there. But we also, we would go there just to read or we go there to have our conversations. If we wanted to have, be in conversation about one of the kids or about something that was going on in our family, we could go there. We could close the door. And what else did we do in that room? Everything, like everything that we did together. We even played a game on the bed or well, sometimes you just need to be able to talk without somebody hearing. It was not a big, humongous property that we owned where you could go to be by yourself. So it was basically that one room where we could go just to connect. Okay, so I'm thinking of a mom with littles right now. So they're two, they can't really be left alone. You can't go and find solace and comfort on the green carpet. 
But what do you think, let's brainstorm a little bit for those mamas. What can they do to create some space, particularly if they're staying home with the kids and their husband is off at work and they need a little time because littles are quite demanding. What would you recommend? I do remember that littles being quite demanding at the time. And I did homeschool back at, in those days and it was a free show. But <laughs> I, do re- I do remember having times where I would put on VeggieTales. Is that still a thing? I'm not sure if that's still a thing um, where I would put on veggie tales and then sit on a, on a couch in another room to do my, to read or do my Bible study or connect with friends. They could still come to me if they needed to, but at least I could step away for a minute. Those are, those feel like long years. They don't last forever. Hear me say this. They don't last forever. Someday you will be able to go pee all by yourself. I promise, I promise, but it doesn't feel like it at the time. I get that. These are important years and the work that you're doing as a mom of littles is more important than any other work that you're going to probably do in your family or as important. It's so important and you're doing a good job. Yeah, that's a good word. It's a great word, actually. One of the things that came to mind, so our daughter has four littles, six to one, and they are busy. No doubt about that. They are definitely busy. And they all have, of course, different personalities and they have different needs. So oftentimes what I remember when I was a stay-at-home mom and I only had two kids, that seemed like a load for me. I had two girls and I would get frustrated and tell them, I need my time. I need this space. And instead, now older, wiser, and of course, not having them screaming at me, tugging on me and not having all of the responsibilities associated with raising them. I have great ideas. So you can try these. I don't know if they'll work or not, but one of the things that comes to mind is to have one of those oversized play pens and you have special toys that go in there and you actually make it about your little to say that this is your time to play with these special toys and I'm not going to disturb you. I'm not going to interrupt you. This is important time to have fun and grow your brain or whatever it is, whatever message it is that you want to send to them. Instead of saying what you need, flip it around and tell them what you're giving them and how important it is that you honor this time, both of you together, that they take the time and you honor the time. So that's the main thing that comes to mind right now. I'm sure there are other ideas out there. What do you think? I like that. I like that. I remember doing that when I was breastfeeding, having a bag of toys for the other kids so that they would feel like that was a special time. Those were their special toys only during that time. So that's along the lines of what you were talking about, right? It's a special time for you. It's nothing about me. No, it's all about you. This is for you. That's right. And that's where that that playpen thing comes into play as well. So that when you are attempting to meditate and focus on God's word, you're not worried about them escaping somewhere or or knocking something over or going in harm's way. And I would say, so here's what comes to mind. I remember I'm recalling several conversations I had with Casey when things were particularly challenging with the kiddos. Uh, Now that James is about to turn seven, it's a little bit easier as they get a little bit older because they can spend more time on their own. I remember reminding her that she is in a season right now and her form of worship may be that one minute that she can snag in scripture. And that may be all that she can snag when she's alone stewarding the resources 
that we call littles that God has given her at that point in time. I encourage women to pay attention to your measuring stick that you are using. Don't use someone else's measuring stick for your life. Ask God what it is that he's calling you to do that day and ask him to give you the space to do that despite the chaos that occurs when you have littles in the home. But understand, please, women, hear me, understand that raising children is a form of worship. It just doesn't look like somebody else's form of worship. And that's okay because you are uniquely you created by the creator of the universe. And that's a beautiful thing. I love that. I love that because also back to the expectations, right? Asking the Lord in the morning, what do you have for me today? My day is yours, but not expecting that you're going to have big blocks of time to do Bible study or to be in the word. It might just be a few minutes, like you said. But knowing that's that's God's will for you today and raising those kids is your act of worship. I really love that. Cool. Okay, so we've talked about five amazing things. And if my math is correct, you still have two more in your bag of tricks. Two more in my bag of tricks. I love that. Another thing that was important, and I think it's important to all families on some level, is managing your supplies. So when we had our freak show family, which was huge, We actually had to take our good stuff. I'm going to call it our good stuff. Our special things like lunch treats, granola bars, pop, chips, all the good stuff and hide it in our fortress of solitude in our bedroom. So we have this beautiful big bedroom with the green carpet. In the corner, we have this storage unit. I know it sounds very romantic and sexy. And on that storage unit was the granola bars, pop, all those things. And the reason that we had that And I don't know if this happens in any other households, but I got groceries. Imagine how much groceries were. They were a bazillion dollars. And this is years ago. So now it's 10 bazillion dollars for groceries. And the next morning I made lunches. There was no granola bars. The children ate the whole box of granola bars in one night. This cannot happen. So I had to hide. They weren't really hidden, but they weren't allowed on the green carpet. So they were safe. It was all, it's all part of the whole process there. But keeping them, but I kept them away from them so that they couldn't get them. And, and when we moved, this is just as, as a side note, when we moved, there was a big area carpet in that um, TV room, which used to be a garage and became a TV room. And under the carpet, when we rolled it up, was hundreds of freezy wrappers, hundreds, because there was a, the extra freezer was in that room as well. So Yeah. Yeah, I'm serious. You got to watch those kids. They're into everything. So it was important to do that. And and I'm not sure that's exactly the route you want to take if you have a couple of kids in a blended family. But it's good to, how can I say it? It's good to have things exactly where you know that they're going to be as far as the thi- as far as your supplies. You know, it just, it's just less stress. It's a great strategy. Recently, my husband and I were out shopping. So I I don't really like shopping for anything. I just want the thing that I want just to show up. I don't want to actually have to do any work to go get it. I've never been a fan of shopping. I'm a fan of doing many other things. But when my husband and I go shopping, I, he actually doesn't have any problem with it. And it's one of the things that I truly cherish about him when we're in the kitchen and we need that one little thing. He'll say, oh, I'll go out and I'll get it. I'll say, oh, no, it's not necessary. It's all right. We'll do with that. And no, I'll go get it. And he often does go get it. And he, I don't know how it happens, but he doesn't complain about it. It's not an imposition to him. 
I don't understand that. That's just not how it goes in my head. It works out very differently. But we recently went shopping together and it was a big load. So we did this whole managing your supplies. So we went, it was a bean run. We made a bunch of canned goods basically. And as we were waiting in line, there was a mom and I don't know, maybe 17 year old son and they were behind us. Now, I don't know if they were blended or not, but they're a family and we know all families work the same way. They don't always get along and we all don't want to be in the grocery store together. But here's what grieved my heart. Even though I did not want to be in the grocery store, I was thankful that I wasn't in there alone and my husband and I were having effective communication. And I try to make it fun too. Uh, I used to hide in the grocery store with the kiddos. We used to play a game in, in the grocery store because I just needed to spice it up. But the couple or the family, the mom and son behind us were really bickering and, oh, I can't believe we have to do this. And, oh, this really sucks. And he was mouthing off and she was frustrated. And I thought about that and just prayed for them right in that moment. And I thought, this is what Satan does. He creates division, even in something as mundane as going to the grocery store. He creates division. But if we went as team members, think how much more effective we would be and think about what's going on in our brains, powerful messages of, hey, this person, like I know my husband, he's got me. He is for me. He is not my opponent. He is my teammate. And if we can help our families develop that mentality that we're on the same team and each of us as team members have different strengths. And there are things that we like to do that nobody else likes to do and vice versa. So let's figure out how we can play to our strengths and assign things, if you will. If you have somebody who is just a fan of cleaning toilets, I highly recommend that you let them clean all of the toilets in your house. If you have somebody who is a fan of shopping or who is a fan of maybe if you keep track of the money that you're spending as you go through the aisles and you want them to add it up on the calculator, I mean, whatever it is, look for those strengths when they're playing those annihilating games, look for those strengths and what comes out and assign them different areas of responsibility in your home that play to the strengths and alleviate some of the stress points for the other people in the household. I'm hearing in my head, manage your attitude while you're getting those supplies. Yes, I love that. That's such a great idea. Rick and I always got groceries together and called it a date because we were poor. And it was good. That's where all our money was going to be left. So I guess it's like a date. You're going somewhere together and you're spending a lot of money. Sounds like a date. It was at the grocery store. And we always, we went to the same store every time. So we had kind of nicknames for the different cashiers. It was a big store. They weren't, we didn't know them all, but there were certain ones that were our favorites. And it sounds funny. Rick and I were divorced for a while. And when we got back together and he came to me with a list of reasons why he wanted to get back together with me. One of them was the girl with the bangs at the grocery store, um, the cashier. And I thought, I don't even know if I want to know this. What are you talking about? And he said, I want to be able to tell somebody, hey, I had the girl with the bangs at the grocery store because she's the friendliest cashier. You know, I want to share those everyday things with you. It's just, it, it doesn't matter who I had as a cashier, but it matters that I can say that to you. Like, hey, guess what? It's a win. I had the great cashier today. So the grocery store is a special spot for us. Not now. I would rather he just went by himself because I don't love getting groceries either, but it is, it was a date night for us. I want to back up the bus a little bit. So we may have some listeners who thought they heard something that you said, but weren't exactly sure they heard what you said. So let's go spell it out that you had this starry-eyed love affair with your husband, not once, 
twice. <laughs> so you were married for a while yeah. and things got really hard and you separated and actually divorced and were apart for a few years. And then, yeah. And then I noticed that when I was sending texts to Rick about our son, he actually started answering them. So that was bizarre. And then we started having some conversations and he asked me to go out to dinner. And yeah, he said that he, for these reasons, one being the girl at the grocery store, funny enough, and lots of other reasons. He just wanted to be in my life. He just wanted to be able to date me and to have that relationship. So I said, okay, we can date. And we dated for months. And then we got remarried and our family is back together again. It's the most amazing miracle. And there's not a day go by that I don't thank God for it. I am so thankful. It's hard. Being a blended family is hard. And people listening that have blended families, that's not news to you. But it's worth it. It's worth sticking with it. It's worth fighting for it. It's worth keeping it together. Just last night, we had something come up that used to raise, oh, we've, we've got two big dogs. And when the turkeys go by or the deer go by or the neighbor has the audacity to open their garage door, the hackles go up. That's how I think of myself. When certain things would happen, my hackles would go up and I would be on I don't know, defense and offense simultaneously. That doesn't really make sense. Maybe that's what I told myself, but I, I was on defense. I think I felt like there was some sort of attack against our family because there was something that was happening that was out of my control. And I didn't like that it was out of my control. And I didn't like how we were handling it together. I didn't like the intrusion of the outside influence of uh, an influential ex. And we struggled quite a bit. So if that's where you are in your season of blending, I want to encourage you and let you know that it actually does, just as Tess mentioned, it does get better. It requires that you do some things differently. So I'm pretty sure that there were some boundary conversations that you and Rick had before you got together again to say, look, we experienced these things in previous marriages and we draw from the one that we had with each other. What do we want this one to look like? Can you share a little bit about that as far as that conversation or an aspect of that conversation where you would have said, now that we know better, let's focus here to make sure that we protect this area? Yes. Before we actually married, when we were just dating, we knew it was going to be hard work. We, of course, had coaching and we had to go through so, 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 so much work, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of learning new ways to communicate in our first marriage with each other. That's, that sounds funny. In our first marriage with each other, we were not good communicators. We came to it with baggage because we had both been married before. So that baggage prevented us from perhaps being honest with each other. We didn't feel like we could be honest about things that were bothering us. Because I was always worried that he would leave because my other marriage, my marriage before that broke up. So I really don't want this. So I'm just going to put up with anything because, well, it looked to me, it looked like I was protecting this marriage by not talking about problems in it, by just putting up with anything. But that wasn't true. So we learned that from being divorced and we had good counseling when we came back together and we learned to communicate. One of the things that we learned, both of us learned, was to avoid ever being alone with another person of the opposite sex 
if one of our friends who is a man, one of my friend's husbands or somebody comes to the door to drop off something and Rick's not home, I, I won't ask him to come in. I trust every one of my friends, but out of respect for my husband, that's just a rule that we have. And I don't think that's a terrible rule. I love that rule. It's a good rule. And nobody seems to think it's weird. But I worried about that before, that what if people think I'm weird because of that? It's, it's just a safety step. It's a safety step. It's so easy. Affairs and like emotional affairs don't start off the way you think. They just start off with attention. They start off with opportunity. They start off with thoughts. We're not ever going to even let that happen. Our boundaries are hard boundaries and we're sticking to them. We're both on the same page about that. Both of us have experiences with this. And there's no pointing fingers at either one of us. We just both know, like, nothing is worth that. Nothing is worth it. Our relationship is the most important relationship. The relationship between the husband and the wife is more important than any of the relationships with friends or anybody else. Let me add on there a couple of things. One, the relationship that you and your spouse have is so important that it's wrapped up in your relationship with Jesus. When we talk about the order of the home, I want to make sure that people know that Tess and I, when we say the relationship as a couple is the most important thing, we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and that our relationship, our individual relationship with the Lord is the priority number one. Priority number two is our relationship as a couple. And then priority number three is our relationship with our children. There's a lot of challenging encounters that you'll have figuring out what the norms are for your step family because let me just say it out loud you will feel differently about your stepchildren than you do about your biological children that doesn't mean that you won't love all of your children but you do love them differently and it's not a an hierarchical love that you love one better than the other but you learn to love this person these kids when they come in they represent what was before you came in. They keep bringing those old experiences in your new relationship, particularly if you're dealing with something as challenging as parental alienation. There's going to be a loyalty struggle that goes on with those kids about how they are in relationship with you. So your relationship with your spouse and the Lord has got to be strong. Now, I'm curious to know, Tess, did you have any boundary conversations at all when you and Rick first got married? Yeah. The first time? Definitely not. No. No. We were just so in love that that, that's all that mattered. I mean, if you just love each other. That's why we call it the starry-eyed love affair because you have stars in your eyes and nobody can talk to you about the fact that you will need seven simple survival strategies. And I do want to say, you're talking about having these survival strategies Yet before we got to number seven, which I'm curious to know number seven, as we move from managing your supplies, we were talking about the importance of having these conversations up front. Do you think that if you have, if you do all the right things, so to speak, before you get married and you have these conversations about the challenges that you're going to face and, and, you, and you get pastoral care or you get coaching, whatever it is that you seek to get ready for your blended marriage, do you think that people will still need the survival strategies or do you think they'll be good? 
oh, I think you're still going to need survival strategies. It's still going to be hard. It's still going to be hard, but I would never do it without counseling. Never without getting outside help and without, I mean, I want to say this last strategy now because it's actually the most important strategy, but I left it till the end just for fun. But the most important strategy for your family is to pray together, especially the two of you also as a family, but especially the two of you to pray together because you need that to breathe some days. Praying together allows you to hear your husband or your wife's heart. It allows you to be on the same page. It brings humility to yourself. It's just so important to be able to do that. And it's very difficult to pray with somebody if you're mad at them. (laughs) I find that anyways, like if we're having a fight about something and then we have to pray together. Oh man, that's hard. I think that's hard. Yeah, it is hard. It's very hard. That's what I've heard anyway. It never happens at the Rogers house. That's right. We're just gathering intel to share with blended families of the world. If only that were true. Okay, so let's revisit these seven real quickly. The first one is manage your time. The second survival strategy for step families is managing your mess. And the third one, it's a doozy. Managing your expectations. That is a big one. We get a lifetime to practice number three. Darn good thing because that one requires some work. (laughs) Okay, number four. Connecting through fun. My personal favorite would be board games where boys can annihilate each other, but any kind of fun. Perfect. And number five, this has to do with the green carpet. That's right. Having a space that's just for you as a couple, a fortress of solitude. Because you are outnumbered. Even if you only have one kid, you're outnumbered as parents. I'm just saying. Number six. Number six is managing your supplies. Like your laundry detergent, your granola bars, your Mm -hmm. popsicles, the pop, all those things that you were hiding, right? (laughs) That's right. My kids never touched my laundry detergent. (laughs) Only the good. Good point. (laughs) Good point. Okay. And the most important thing, the thing that we are called to do unceasingly is pray together, praying together as a couple and praying together as a family. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing these seven simple survival strategies for step families. I know that you cover these in unique ways in your current book that you have out. And I see it there behind you on the shelf, The Freak Show of Life, and you minister beautifully. Would you share a little bit about where people can find you? Yeah, so thanks, Jen. So my book is called Listen, Sister. Finding Hope in the Freak Show of Life. It's a collection of stories. So every story is just a couple minute read. You can read it when you're going pee, if you get to go pee by yourself. And you can just flip through one story. At the end of it, there will be a Bible verse, kind of a lesson that you learn from that story. And they're all real and true, even though mostly embarrassing for me. But that's okay. That's all right. I just want to encourage moms. So you can find that book anywhere books are sold. So Amazon. Also, Barnes & Noble, Kohl's, Indigo, I saw it on Walmart.com. Crazy. Pretty much everywhere. You can look it up. Listen, Sister by Tess Scott. That's wonderful. And you have a special offer for our listeners today as well. You want to share that? Yeah, I really, my heart is to encourage other women. So if you think that your life is a freak show, I want to encourage you today. There's a link that Jen's going to put in the show notes and you can download this free PDF the, te- the top 10 signs that your life is a freak show. 
just to give you a little laugh today. And you can see if your life really is a freak show. I bet you it is. If you have kids and you're a blended family, chances are. I think if you're breathing air on earth, your life is a freak show. (laughs) That is probably true. (laughs) Hey, thanks so much for joining us on Step Family Mission Possible. I am always honored to spend time with you and to learn more about your amazing adventures, whether they were blended or not. So thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks, Jen. I love it. I really appreciate what you're doing to encourage step families. Thank you. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you enjoyed this episode. If you liked today's episode, would you please leave us a five-star review in the App Store? Thanks so much. Catch you next time.